0: Freedom HealthWorks is the direct primary care accelerator. We help doctors across the country start fresh in direct primary care. With Freedom HealthWorks, you work with a team, not a checklist. Visit FreedomHealthWorks.com and together we can achieve true freedom in direct care.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig. Today, we are touching upon a topic that will probably make anybody's blood boil if they've had any type of experience with the healthcare system before. So today, we are talking to Doug Aldean, who is an ERISA attorney, uh, attorney at law down in Austin, Texas, and has been on the front lines helping individuals, helping health plans, and helping companies fight some of these egregious, as I'm going to call them, hospital bills, and giving people some advice and a path forward when they're met with these massive bills that nobody can understand in their right mind. So, Doug, welcome to Healthcare Americana. It's a pleasure to have you on today.
2: Hey, Chris, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thank
1: you. Yeah, we were just chatting offline, and it's one of those things, I should have hit the record button as soon as we started into it. But your work down in Texas um, has seems like it has really opened your eyes into a lot of the issues and the inequities within the healthcare industry, um, mostly dealing with large hospital uh, players and the interaction between them and third party payers, insurance companies, all that kind of stuff. What have you been seeing? You know, give us give us the thirty thousand foot view and then you know dive right into it. From your side, on you know what's happening out there to real people and real businesses.
2: Absolutely, so Chris, from a thirty thousand point of view, let's let's start with the general concept. You know, a not-for-profit hospital, which is tax exempt, is a legal fiction. In fact, when you look at the numbers, and I'm talking actuarial numbers, not-for-profit hospitals make more money than the for-profit hospitals. So, if you start with the general concept that you know, not-for-profit is a name only. I think you start there and then you start, you know, getting into the billing practices, the PPL discounts, which are fictional, that there's arguably collusion between the insurance carriers and the hospitals in terms of driving up the insurance prices as a result of the ACA and the MLR, which we can get into a little bit down the road. But it's really the billing and collection practices of these not-for-profit hospitals
1: so talking about the non- not-for-profit, because a, it's a topic that we've heard people discuss and, and kind of lament in the past before. Um, many times, not-for-profit and hospital groups are spending a lot of money lobbying and trying to influence legislature. But as a 501c3 and as a nonprofit, isn't that against the law? So how do they get away with something like that to be able to influence the market like they do and still keep a tax-exempt status?
2: Well, that, that's a good question. So, you know, the running joke in healthcare is that we're six hundred and eighty nine million dollars away from fixing it. And that number represents the, the dollar spent, say, let's just say, I think it was 2019 lobbying Congress. So between big pharma, the hospitals and the health plans, six hundred and eighty nine million dollars lobbying the members of Congress. And we're not talking, you know, two for twenty at Chili's. We're talking big time bucks, but it, it's, it's not illegal to lobby. In and of itself. And when you when you and we could talk about a number of different pieces of legislation where the hospitals influence Congress tremendously. As an example, I've run into a recent case with a hospital in the upper Midwest where they paid the cobra payment on behalf of the patient. So the issue is this would you pay six hundred and ten dollars to access six hundred and forty six thousand? Of course you happens all the time. Hmm. that particular policy forces so think about this chris you show up don't have a job you're behind on your COVID payments if you miss this one you're out of luck and the hospital is going to have to eat all those charges so hmm. if they make the payment they're covered they force you to go to that hospital and all those physicians so even though you may live in let's say you live in cincinnati you're stuck going to those, those physicians in
1: ohio or wherever Sure, 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 sure. So going back to six hundred eighty-nine million dollars, I like that what you said there. It it, we can fix all the healthcare. I mean, that just makes me think that if they're throwing that much money to influence the federal government, it has to be for the greater good, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think everybody's going to be laughing at that one. So, I mean, what are they based on your experience in in working? Uh, with Arissa, and I'll let you kind of explain exactly what that means and how that influences groups and, and businesses. But what has your experience been on trying to open up hospital billing procedures and in finding a little bit of transparency in this world?
2: Well, you know, it's now that you've mentioned, you think about the recent enactment of the CARES Act, the transparency requirements that were effective at the beginning of the year. The last time I looked, maybe half the hospitals have fully complied. And there's over close to 5,000 hospitals in the United States. Half of them just, it, it doesn't matter because the fine is $300 a day or 109,200 per year. That's an ER it? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a few CAT scans and you know a facility.
1: Well, compliance is a, uh, a very ambiguous word too. I've seen some interesting price sheets online, what it came out, the Wall Street Journal, I think it was, uh, did a deep dive and found that they were blocking those price pages from being indexed by search engines. So, you know, compliance is, uh, it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Okay. Um,
2: you know, just to interject, I, mean, so, and I actually yeah. worked with Anna Matthews on that article, okay? And so what the Wall Street Journal did is they hired Google and they, and they told Google, give me your smartest, best people, and I want you to go into every single hospital and get the prices. And Google called up the Wall Street Journal and said, well, we took our best people, we couldn't get into New York University, University of Pennsylvania, arguably prestigious academic institutions because they had a firewall or some type of code that prevented the Google search engine from going there and getting the prices." Right. And so, you know, you gotta think about it. What what are you gonna do? Are you gonna shut down the University of Pennsylvania and tell them they can't see patients because they haven't complied, you going to find them? No,
1: you're not. What you're going to do is is find them, but then you're going to be in the headlines for finding these nonprofit hospitals. That, you know, and they're going to cry that, "Hey, we're taking care of uh, all the people listed on the Statue of Liberty." You know, the sick, the tired, and the Well-ish- We're a charity, right? <laughs> so, give us a, give me an idea. You know, when we when we first started talking, um, the type of clients that you take on, what type of cases do you usually deal with uh, when you go to work each day?
2: A vast majority of what I do is I, I work with reference-based pricing organizations. And reference-based pricing is called bottom-up pricing as opposed to top down They're typically <laughs> which the means the plans themselves bear the risk for the payment of those services, as opposed to farm that out to the Blue Cross, United All right, and What they do is, if you, if you accept the fact that top-down pricing, in other words, first, if you let me set the price, I'll give you a 99% discount every single time because you're letting me set the price. That's what top-down pricing is, and that's why, you know, all the insurance company stock prices have gone through the roof, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do bottom-up pricing. You set a defined benefit, they typically tie it to a percentage of Medicare, or whatever, 170% of Medicare. And then the hospitals, if they're able to identify who these people are, so even think about that concept, you don't even know who is paying you, okay? That's how inefficient a lot of these hospitals are. Well, balance failure. you, all right? And so I'll negotiate out of network bills with the
1: facilities. Gotcha. So, give us an example. Um, don't use any names or anything like that uh, by any means. But had there been times where hospitals are not honoring those type of agreements?
2: Oh yeah, it's the wild west when it comes to hospital billing and collection. There's no referee. There's nobody looking over their shoulders. There's no. If you're on Wall Street, you've got the SEC. You've got FINRA. Arguably, you've got some place to go. If you're getting ripped off someone is gonna step in and do something. In healthcare, it's not that way. I mean, the IRS monitors a 501 CT status, but who's even paying attention to that?
3: Nobody. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, they're not prosecuting it. So where do you, where do you turn when you have uh, issues like that? Just walk us through the process of, you get a call and say, hey, I think I'm getting screwed over by this hospital. They're not honoring what's going on. What do you do? What can you do?
2: Well, as an example, so in many instances, a lot of my clients will do a medical bill. So you're going to have you're going to have two things you're looking at. Okay? You're going to have a repricing report, which is the fair number. You're also going to have a clinical review, which is going to have all the coding errors, bundling, unbundling. They billed for this service, but they should have billed for this service. And that's where you can really do. You can actually have an intelligent conversation with the hospital. You know, I tell people, we don't really have a balanced billing problem. We have a billing and collecting problem. It's the accuracy of the bill. So, forget price for now. Just get to an accurate picture of the number of the, of the bill, and then we can talk about price. But that's that's half the problem.
1: So, you're saying, you know, w- when you get this bill, get something itemized, and then look at it. And, you know, on the physician side, there's what three hundred thousand codes uh, to choose from. Right. <laughs> and just like, how do you how do you possibly pick the right one when it comes down to that one? And there's some pretty there's some pretty humorous uh, codes out there for some interesting things uh, that happen to people yeah,
2: that, that would be another podcast just interesting cpt codes
1: yeah we actually did a uh a, a social media campaign about that and so each week we're picking out different types of uh different types of codes that were just strange and funny i remember one of them was you know it had this code and it said person hit in the head by a flying duck and i'm like you gotta be kidding me like this actually this is actually a thing and there was another one that was like pecked by a turkey on right index finger. I'm like, what? How? <laughs> how is this a thing? Why is this a thing? And and how much waste does this just compile when people are going through this? And you talk about coding errors, and then you talk about the whole system from that standpoint. And then you get Medicare involved, and if they're gonna, you know, go after anybody who's trying to do the right thing rather than just listing a bunch of codes. Uh, and then hoping something sticks uh, from that standpoint. So, I mean, it's a mess coming and going. But back to the discussion. So, the best thing people can do is what it sounds like is get the itemized bill and and get a phone call. Speaking from personal experience, it's impossible to talk to the actual hospital. There, there's everything is third party, you know, billing, and and they don't even seem to have a clue what's going on. Your insurance company is zero help whatsoever because they blame the hospital, and then you got the hospital's collection and billing company pointing fingers at the insurance company, insurance companies pointing fingers back at the hospital. What's somebody do in that standpoint?
2: Now, what I do, I mean, just by the benefit of just being a lawyer, I'm able to work with somebody typically in a legal department. So if I call somebody, I mean, I'll typically get a response back. And it's just honestly, just by virtue, of just having been around and you know, someone's going to respond to me. But if you're just, if you're out there and you've got this built I mean, the only way to do it, honestly is to show up personally. I mean, you hate to say it, but it is a—it's a, it's a significant undertaking to fix a hospital to your advantage, appropriately so. It's just—it's an undertaking.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, from uh from our personal story, you know, it, it blew my mind that the hospital billed uh, our newborn daughter uh, for all the services. And I'm like, well, tell me, show me the contract that she signed with you guys. How are you going to send a newborn into collections? And they're like, oh, we can do it. Like, oh my gosh, this is this is absolutely a mess.
2: <laughs> I've spent 10 years in health systems, both in Champaign and San Antonio. I have a lot of friends there. But when you look at the people that are responsible for that, for those bills and putting them out and mailing them or whatever. I mean, the only thing they're concerned about is what time the pizza gets there, 12 or 1230. It's just, it's just blank.
1: And it's frustrating, too, because a lot of patient experiences. And let me know if this is similar to... You know the people you work with, but again, speaking from personal experiences on this, that it's impossible to talk to somebody. They don't want to do anything. They send you, you know, a couple pieces of mail each day, and then you pick up the phone, call them, and they have no idea what's going on. You know, and you have anywhere from four to five different account numbers which you got to look up each time. I mean, I, I guess it, it, the question is, you know, is it designed like that? Is it designed to be as confusing and troublesome? And stressful as it possibly can? I think
2: that the system was designed to benefit the people who designed the system. So that's the insurance carriers and the hospitals. And, you know, as sad as it is, I mean, we're just risk for the mill. And the sicker you are, the more money they're going to make. I mean, I've had conversations with CFOs, as awful as this is, quote, booking revenue because they got a leukemia patient. I mean, think about that. Gosh.
1: So where do we go? I, you know, Doug. What are you? What are you seeing? What's the solution here? I'm always very solution oriented. How do How do people listen to this conversation and just not lose hope? There's a lot
2: based on what I've been seeing here in the past couple of years. I mean, there is a significant rebellion movement towards a more transparent system, a cash based system, where all we have to do collectively as a country is remove the middleman. Because when you think about all those rent seeking entities that are extracting value without adding anything it's huge and the moment we get to and i'll call it marcus will like care which is the doctor patient relationship and you get rid of all the extraneous fluff we're going to be so far down the pike, and everybody's going to be happy doctors are going to be doing what they're trying to do patients are going to be getting better but it's ultimately what needs to happen and i do believe honestly it happens on incremental steps. I mean, you just can't. I mean, you think like you're trying to turn the Titanic around at 90 degrees within five minutes. just not going to happen.
1: And we all know what happened on the Titanic. That's
2: right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, ultimately, the iceberg in, in, in this analogy is going to be a government takeover, because, you know, you can't have hospitals, you know, as we're coming out of COVID, 40 to 50% of hospitals are operating in the red. hmm because it's their business model, which is fee for service, electric surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. And you can't have people that live in Scottsbluff, Nebraska, not have access to a hospital. It's a health and safety issue.
1: Well, then, you know, to flip that around. You also have these community hospitals sending everybody in town to collections on the same vein of it. And I, it is a vicious kind of race to the bottom and not in a good market uh, forces, good competitive way where prices are being deflated it's it's really the opposite and the race to the bottom is I would I would counter on the iceberg analogy and say the iceberg is going to be you know personal debt and bankruptcies that are going to drag people down and then then we don't see you know people don't don't try to get care anymore and we've already seen that with covid and you know I'm kind of bracing not just uh, to see the fallout from the past year from a market standpoint with supply chain and lumber shortages, you name it's going to be in shortage. But what happens when all those people that needed care didn't go to it? I have a a bad feeling that everybody's going to show up at once and there's going to be some bad outcomes that happen.
2: 100%. I think we start with forcing hospitals to honor their charitable mission. And if you look at a hospital's financials, I mean, their charity care is less than 1%. It's like 0.08. And so I, I think you start with really working with these hospitals, defining some uniform standards across the country, because there are no uniform standards. So each hospital can make its own decision in terms of what level of care they want to do, who they're going to offer to, financial requirements, all that. Start with some basic uniform standards. Force these. You think about what a hospital was 60 years ago. It was a place you either want to die, or you had a car accident or a heart attack. Now you can go to a health system and have a Starbucks and take a yoga class.
1: Yeah, you know? <laughs> absolutely. You absolutely can. it's a you know, that, that touches upon, you know, one of the things and one of the biggest um, kind of the negative aspects of, you know, what we're doing here at Freedom Health Works and, and helping physicians exit insurance and third party dependency um, and helping patients and companies find those physicians is what about the hit by a bus scenario? What about if I get in a car wreck? What happens then? And that has been the toughest thing to overcome because while there are cash based ERs uh, in certain parts of the country, I know Texas has a, uh, some cities in Texas have a great little system there. But private ERs, that's the biggest thing, in my opinion, that are holding people back is the what if I get in an accident? What if I get cancer? What if I have some major, major surgeries? I have to have my insurance policy. And if I'm paying for insurance, I might as well use it. For everything, for all the prepaid healthcare type of stuff. Um, what's your reaction to that mentality? Well, one, let's
2: use the get hit by a
1: bus. You're probably better off not having insurance to be
2: honest with it because you're going to show up in the ER. They're obligated to care for you. So you're going to get at least a really good first bite of the apple just by not having insurance. And then ultimately, you know, if you don't have insurance, are going to be able to access because you're going to be what's called medically indigenous or indigenous. You're going to access their financial assistance policies until you're 100% better. And even if you did have some type of major, major medical insurance, let's just say would call it call called a $25,000 deductible. I mean, with the hospital with their hyperinflated charges, if it was a $500,000 bill, would they waive 25 dollars without it out? Wouldn't even think twice about it. As long as they could access the insurance money, I wouldn't mm-hmm. even talk about it.
1: <laughs> that's um, pretty powerful, right? <laughs> so yeah, the, the financial assistance aspect of it, you mentioned that a couple of times. What exactly is that for people listening out there who might not know that that's an option?
2: It is an option each and every single time. So it, you can go to any hospital's website, review their financial assistance application, what type of information are they looking for? For example, I'll just use University of Pennsylvania. It's one-page stuff. I mean, they have such a significant endowment Okay, billions and billions of dollars. They don't even care. Just one pay stub, here's what it is, and then you're gonna be able to you're gonna be able to access what the what that rate is. And it's it's what's called their AGB, amounts generally billed. And if you look at a hospital, okay, now think about this. Amounts generally re- billed represent all claims divided by all payments. So it's Medicare, Medicaid, Self-Pay, Commercial, okay, divided by all payments. And there are hospitals in this country where the AGB is single digits. And I'm talking 8%. So for every dollar they bill, they collect 8 cents. So that's the real number. So if you're paying anything more than that,
1: you're overpaying. Wow. Well, how do insurance companies tolerate this? Aren't they supposed to be on our side? I'm asking tongue in cheek, but aren't they supposed to be out there fighting for their uh, for their clients? Right. you know and so
2: when we get done with this podcast i'm going to send you the financial or the uh, i've got a client this for all the different health systems across the country his name's Leon Leon he's health cost labs super smart guy so in your backyard with iu health okay surprisingly they omitted anthem so when they published all the prices they did signal they did that, that they did that, but they didn't post anthem which is in your backyard now why is that? because anthem is paying the most. So if you have Anthem in Indianapolis, and this happened to be major hip and knee surgery, you're way overpaying. I'm talking, I don't know, 500 to percent
1: Wow. Yeah. Well, so much for transparency, uh, compliance, right? (laughs) Yeah, and those two two organizations are about two miles away from each other, if that, maybe just a mile here uh, in downtown Indianapolis. So, So good to see that they get along there.
2: Exactly. So if you're an employer, you know, in Carmel, Indiana, and you've got Anthem, there's a pretty high probability you're way over
1: there. Goodness. So again, I don't understand the argument when people say, well, you know, we can't have transparency because competition is going to be bad for everybody. Because they're looking at that and saying, you know, Aetna and Signal, Cigna call up by you and say, I want Anthem's rates, or vice versa. Right. And I'm thinking. Anybody who says that has absolutely zero experience or zero education from any type of business aspect ever. <laughs>
2: exactly. I mean, it's it's always been OPP or OPM, other people's money. And when your cash pay rate is significantly less than what the insurance carriers have, I mean, it just goes to show you that the insurance dollars benefit the insurance carriers. I mean, that's the reality.
1: And that's a great point because, you know, we encourage our listeners all the time, whenever you have an encounter uh, for the non-physicians, if you have an encounter with any type of care need, ask what the cash price is. You're going to get some funny looks from people at the front desk, but ultimately they're going to figure it out. And then probably, I mean, what are the chances, nine out of 10, eight out of 10, that the cash price is going to be vastly cheaper than what your deductible would be or anything else that was even dealing with an insurance plan. And the people at the office usually will be like, hey, this is a lot easier. Uh, it's the insurance that makes it a <laughs> lot difficult. You're going to make their lives a lot easier too once they actually understand what the cash price is.
2: You know, and it, again, I have no problem with people making money. But if you look at the salaries from United CEO, the Humana CEO, and their stock, it's stock-based compensation, okay? I mean, just last year, I mean, the United CEO made $79 million. That's more than LeBron James, okay? <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, it's just, it's, off the backs of people who need help. I mean, yeah, like, it, a lot of times it dumps in your face because you can't. I mean, otherwise, and it's a rigged system.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I always like taking that argument that you know everybody says, oh, these these top CEOs, people running these companies, are overpaid, and you know, I'll, I'll counter it. There's a, there's only a handful of people that are able to do that job in the world living right now. What gets me is that, like you said it seems like it's rigged against any other type of market forces. So if you have a CEO and they make $80 million a year and they're transparent and they're beating everybody on, on, on competition and, you know, they're providing great products, good for them. But what, what gets me is building yourself, you know, not a, not an insurance, but you know, these hospital systems build themselves as nonprofits and charitable organizations you take home massive amounts, and then you turn everybody over to collections and ruin, you know, people's lives, make them, you know, turn them into bankruptcy, all that kind of stuff, because they weren't able to ask the right questions in order to skirt the system and get around all the little games of gotcha uh, that exist out there. That's what that's what pisses me off, and like I said in the in, in in the introduction here, that's what makes a lot of people's blood just boil because you know you feel helpless. You really do. You're like I I don't I called this number. I I got the runaround. Like I said, they said, talk to your insurance company. Insurance company said, talk to your healthcare, uh, your hospital. And people just give up. They
2: give up because I mean, think about it. You just, you're recovering from a car accident. You're probably on some type of heavily sed, you know, sedation. You're not really thinking clearly. And it goes on for months and mm-hmm. months and you never get an answer. And the phone calls and the letters, the next thing you know, your credit's impaired. You can hardly walk, you're backwards. I mean, it's overwhelming. The whole thing is overwhelming, without a doubt.
1: No one calls the bankruptcy, medical bills, unpaid medical bills.
2: And think about this. I mean, the hospitals are the judge, jury, and executioner. So if Chris submits an application for financial assistance and they turn you down, I mean, what are you going to do? There's nowhere else to go. And on top of that, you could be in a market, and I'll use my hometown in Champaign. I've worked at the Carlson. It's a monopoly. You've got 100 miles to Indianapolis, 100 miles to Chicago, 100 miles to St. Louis. You don't like it?
1: What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what they're going to do. They're going to call Doug. They're going to call you up and say, Doug, what do I do here? <laughs> and a lot of these people, because it, 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 the problem
2: compounds, right? Because you need to go back. You need follow-up treatment. You maybe need corrective knee surgery, and you're going to get no service because you haven't paid your bill. And so mm-hmm. you're going to have to hop in a car. You're going to drive some other place, and it's just the whole thing is just, I mean, sad, and awful.
1: It is. It is. But it sounds like there's hope here. So Doug, I'm going to give you a last word here. What is the perfect healthcare industry? And the perfect healthcare, you know, uh, I don't like the word system, so I'm going to stick with industry. What does that look like to you? How does how does how do you wave your magic wand and poof, everything is is fixed? Everything is is operating as it should be.
2: Here's what I think. I think one, you you make insurance by its very definition of catastrophic events. So. If you have progressive insurance, would you use your progressive insurance to buy gas? Of course not. Okay, it's catastrophic. So we've got to redefine insurance, which is for catastrophic care only, to hit by the bus, a heart attack, that kind of stuff. And we go to a cash pay basis. We get rid of all the middlemen, okay? And, you know, you've got a very firm doctor-patient relationship, which is backed by a catastrophic policy, just like it is in the, in the auto liability world. And I think that's a great place to start because I don't think, that, you know, a government takeover can work. I mean, because Milton Friedman was quoted as saying, if the U.S. government was in charge of the Sahara Desert, it would run out of sand and five So I just don't I don't subscribe to
1: government healthcare at all. No, there's no fixes coming out of it. It's why UPS and FedEx seem to make money uh, and do very well for themselves, while the Postal Service is just in quicksand every single year and deeper and deeper into the red. Um, you know, you look at VAs um, and there's the, the, the disservice that they're doing to our veterans serving this country. And you have clear examples of government takeover of industry that fail and that don't work. Um, look at rail lines, look at Amtrak. Anything the government has a hand in is, <laughs> is, is hurting uh, in producing, you know, subpar vehicles. Hell, I even, I'd even say that, you know, GM and Chrysler back in 08 and 09 had some pretty rough years there before they got their act together, you know, from government involvement and some some just vehicles that nobody wanted. So there is a track history of this happening. So I'm right there with you. And then not to mention, you know, you threw out that figure of the $689 million in lobbying that is being paid to people to influence government. And you, you just don't get the sense that they're the ones to fix it. And, of course, one size fits all is not going to work for everybody, whether you're on the East coast, the West coast, the Southern part of the States, or, you know, like us in the, in the Midwest here, you can't have a one size fits all. It's gotta be locally priced, locally uh, available. Like you said earlier, without a doubt, Doug, it's been a pleasure talking to you here. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on to our show and uh, talking to us a little bit about your experiences and, and what you've seen. I think the biggest takeaway is that, and I'll, I'll let you speak to this, that if you do need to use medical services and definitely don't put off medical care if you need it but you've got to be able to ask questions especially when it comes to pricing
2: that's correct and not, not only the pricing but if if the bill is is you're entitled to access the hospital's financial assistance policy within certain parameters and so I think like you said entitled to the price and you know and maybe, That bill can be written off in its entirety or substantially, depending on the financial assistance at that hospital.
1: That's good advice. Good advice, Doug. I appreciate it. Doug Aldean, an ERISA attorney at law, Austin, Texas. Doug, thanks for taking the time to chat with us here. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Chris, thank you so much. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. To learn more about the cash pay movement, I will say, or the direct-to-consumer healthcare movement, visit freedomhealthworks.com. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all
0: our episodes, visit the shop and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin.
2: Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit FMMA.org.
3: The new administration has big plans for your health insurance. Changes that can limit your choices. The Affordable Care Act created a one-size-fits-all plan. Health care is not a one-size-fits-all problem. The premise of the ACA is that coverage equals care. It does not. This is Eric Wilson from ISA Health Incorporated, and I recently saved a family in their 50s almost $600 per month with our free market plan. Act now. Protect yourself with a plan that cannot be canceled. This is a nationwide PPO plan which allows you to pick your doctors and hospitals. Start saving 30 to 60% today. If you are self-employed, purchase your own health insurance, or are uninsured, you can lock in a private plan managed by you, not the government. Call me, Eric Wilson, an expert with 17 years experience at 888-448-5370. That's 888-448-5370. Or go to iSellHealth.com. That's iSellHealth.com. A free market, affordable approach to healthcare. I look forward to speaking with you.
0: Interested in saving money on medical expenses? Coral is a healthcare marketplace and referral platform that helps direct primary care physicians, specialists, and medical plans find each other and work together at an affordable and transparent price. Save time and save money by utilizing the transparent direct contract model from Coral. To learn more, please visit. Coral.io
4: At Green Imaging, we provide diagnostic imaging procedures that include MRIs, CT scans, and X-rays for half of the average price in a health plan. Most people don't realize that the most expensive place to get an MRI is right down the hall from the prescribing doctor. This is because 70% of doctors are now employed or subsidized by our hospital systems. When we get an imaging exam at a hospital-owned imaging facility, the cost of care is three to seven times more expensive than it is at an independent imaging facility. There is a better choice that can save you up to 65% or more. That choice is green imaging. In most hospitals, there are 16 administrators for every single doctor. This creates an unnecessary burden on the price tag. By removing this excess, Green Imaging provides diagnostic services typically at one-third of the price or less. Check us out at greenimaging.net.
0: As a podcast listener, you know how frustrating it is when the audio is muffled or unclear. How can you have a good listening experience when you can't hear? Healthcare has been the same way. Information isn't clear, and it's hard to understand. That's why at Point Health, we're making healthcare easy to find, easy to understand, and easier to afford. And to help with your podcast experience, we're giving you a chance to win a free pair of Apple AirPods. Just visit pointhealth.com healthcareamericana to learn more and enter to
1: win. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericon.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening.
2: Hope you enjoy it.